Welcome back to the podcast once again. The podcast is brought to you by Chef Notepad. If you don't have it, get it. You're missing out. It's super cool. Stores your recipes, does your costing for your menus. If you are a chef and you don't have this, head to his Instagram, chef underscore notepad and check it out and get all the details there. It's a very good page. It tells you heaps about it before you have to head to the store and buy it. Chef underscore notepad do it. Today's podcast is Adam Woofers. He is from Gerard's Bistro and he rocked up to Brizzy about a year ago, another fancy chef we stole out of Sydney. He's got some cracking stories from overseas and his adventures from doing starters in these really cool places where he was, oh, you're going to have to listen. He's a super cool guy. You will definitely like him. Enjoy. Do you want to start, Nick? You guys can start. Uh, Mr. Adam Woofers from Gerard's Bistro, or some call it, people call it Gerard's. We like to call it Gerard's. Welcome yep. to the podcast. Thank you for being a part of it. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about you today and find out some of your history and some of your cool cooking techniques. And I sort of al- almost want to officially welcome you to Brisbane, even though you've been here a good year now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah been here for a year, over a year now. So, yeah, it's... Thanks for having me, and yeah, it's pleasure, good to be here. pleasure, pleasure. Now, um, so you're obviously here, and, and, you're, and you're kicking lots of goals. Like, like I really, you know, feel from everything I've seen and tasted, you know, what you've what you've managed to do is is quite remarkable. Um, given that you were walking into a place that sort of had a bit of a reputation already, and it was going quite well, but your take on it has just taken it, you know, sorry Ben, to a new level. You know, like it's 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 really good. Oh. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah, um, yeah. It's just, I guess, it, it was sort of a really great opportunity to come up to Brizzy, and you know, at the at the time, it was sort of I was doing my um, pop up Etelek at the time, um, but yeah, it was sort of like a really off the cuff sort of, um, you know, basically just a thing that we could. I could come up here and, you know, it was just a really cool opportunity and um, basically, yeah, it's just, I, I couldn't look back now. It's really awesome. Yeah. Tell us about that pop-up, Etelek, is that it? Yeah, Etelek. Yeah, tell us about so, that and the inspiration behind that and the why. Because that was your own gig, yeah? Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, myself and my business partner, Mark Demo. Uh, we sort of started doing this pop-up uh, a couple of years ago um, and it was it was just one of those things where um, after having worked where I'd, anyway, we'll get to that later, but um, it was it was sort of like a really cool idea of like, you know, my Jewish background um, that I have and I sort of wanted to try and implement a modern take on what I ate as a child from my grandmother. So it was kind of like all these cool old school recipes from my grandmother. Um, that I sort of rejigged and turned into a kind of fun, modern way in in a restaurant form. So it was it was sort of a really cool so, opportunity. So you to feel do like, like, like you were you were working for a Metapol, was it Monopol? Monopol, yeah, yeah so, Monopol. I would pronounce yeah. that wrong all the time. That's I, right. I don't think I've ever actually been there, but I know Labart's from there. Lots of people went through there. Yeah, but. Um, it's, uh, so this gave you a chance to really express what you were about. Um, so you were you felt like you were potentially limited in other places that you'd worked or, you know, once it was yours, you were just able to let loose? Yeah, I mean, like, obviously through all, a lot of the places that I had worked, I was working under someone who yeah. obviously 
they had the last call on what was happening, you know, their style, yeah. uh, you know, the whole restaurant feel and everything. So having worked with all those amazing chefs throughout my career, it's sort of, this was the one time where I was like, okay, this is my own. I'm going to really sort of hone in and try and find something unique and exciting that I can do. That's not going to, people aren't going to be like, oh, he's just, that's just like Brent Savage food or that's just Peter Doyle food that is just done again. And so it was really sort of one of those things where you need to try and be a little bit more innovative, but still keep within your your style and um, do something new and exciting. So nobody so. knows what your grandmother cooks. So that's a great angle to go back and get, some, <laughs> you know, get some strength and get some yeah. ideas from. Yeah. Well, that, that's it. Like I, I sort of never thought of that cooking as, you know, you sort of think as a child, you're like, oh, this is like, oh, I have to eat this. I have to eat this because it's sort of, you know, as a kid, you, it's not really what you're into. But yeah. then as you grow older, you sort of appreciate what you had as a child. Yeah. And um, I sort of, you know, spoke to mum and dad because my grandma's passed, but I sort of spoke to them about the history and stuff before going into doing the electing. And they were just kind of like, oh, I don't know if that's really going to work. You yeah. know, that's a, you know, you got to keep it traditional. People don't like to do, you know, and, and I was kind of like a bit, you know, I wasn't sure if I was doing the right thing. And then this one, yeah, the one time that sort of really struck a note was um, there's like this traditional dish um, called like a matzo ball soup, which is basically a certain time of the year when Jewish people have a thing called Passover and they eat this, it's basically like a leftovers of matzo that they turn into like this bread dumpling with a chicken soup. So it's chicken soup and a bread lump, bread dumpling. And it's like the most simplest thing you've ever eaten, but it's the most delicious thing you've ever eaten. And I sort of, yeah, one of the, the first pop-up we did, I sort of said, oh, do you reckon I should do the matzo ball soup? And then dad was like, you can't do the matzo ball soup. Like, <laughs> you can't do that. Like, you can't Is mess it- with the matzo ball soup. And I was like, well, <laughs> true, you can't. So I didn't actually mess with it. I just made it slightly different and... <laughs> Like people were just going nuts for it because yeah. they'd never they'd never really experienced it, and I, I've definitely never heard of it. Yeah, now you've never even, heard so of it, yeah. and and so it was kind of like a cool little signature that we did, and it was basically using my grandmother's recipe almost to the T. I just had a few little tweaks with it, but that was that was sort of like the the moment where I was like, oh, it actually could work doing this kind of thing because people. You know they'd never seen it and they were just like oh man this is like the coolest thing i've ever eaten it's like just so simple but tell me about some more of them dishes yeah that were on that menu there um yeah like and the other thing was is like obviously uh my background was uh working at yellow which is a vegetarian restaurant um and then you know i sort of did a take on my my grandmother's uh, vienna schnitzel so she was from vienna and she did like this awesome vienna schnitzel and i just sort of thought, oh, what if I do like a vegetarian take on her schnitzel? So I got parsnips and I roasted off a parsnip and everyone's like, you know, everyone sort of when I, when they think of parsnip, they think of like a really starchy sort of horrible vegetable that is not very only exciting. Good, only good for puree, huh? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, like as like when I was sort of a young chef, a lot of the places that we work, like we would not have really used parsnip. It's one of those things that, 
you know, it always tends to go dry when you roast it or it's like really fibrous because it's got the root in the middle. And so I sort of, yeah, was like playing around with it and I just sort of found like if you get these really big parsnips, like the longer you cook them and like once you cook it to a certain stage, it actually brings out the sweetness and that gets, and you can take out that core and keep the shape of it and it's still really delicious. And oh, so- you, that, that is cool because that core is many a bane of people's existence, isn't it? It's yeah. People, some people don't know to take, they cut it like a round carrot. It's like yeah, it's and, in the middle. And that's you like, the house out of to me, that's like, yeah, that's the wrong way to prep a parsnip. Yeah, so yeah. we sort of, yeah, we sort of came up with the way that we were cooking it. Best way to cook parsnips. And this, I'm like, I've Chip done here, it every ready, single ready way. Guys. You have to do, it's called the steam roast rig. So you basically, you make a, almost like a on papillot. So you basically have like a high heat in the oven, but it's steam steaming in like a foil pouch. Yeah. And you roast it at like 200 degrees. So it's got like a high heat. It keeps the moisture within the vegetable and then it breaks it down to a, a good consist, like a good texture of the vegetable. And does it hold its shape? And it holds its shape. Wow. So that's what we do with a lot of our vegetables, like carrots, all the like hearty root vegetables. Find that that's the, that's the best way to cook it because it, it gets the high heat which those vegetables need to break down because it needs to be above of 85 degrees for a, basically a vegetable like that to break down. Just so everyone knows, he's not even saying it's not really 85 because he doesn't want to <laughs> It's actually share his 92. <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, like, obviously, yeah, the, the whole vegetable thing, like the root vegetables, the way that over the years I've sort of worked out is, like, this is the best way to cook it where you can par cook it and then you can finish it in a wood fire oven or whatever. But you need to, like, set – you basically need to break down the vegetable in a way where the texture's – right the sweetness comes out perfectly and it doesn't dry it out so yeah this it's a bit nerdy but that's that's sort no, of how it, we do it's it it's awesome yeah. because there's this whole like bringing together of you know let's go as far as heston blumenfield to um something as simple and traditional as a beautiful soup from your grandmother and then bringing it into a position where you can serve it as a, as a pop-up or in a restaurant there's a lot of uh, thought going there and then you've got a whole menu of these things and to come together um it must have been for the guys who get to work for you it must be a real pleasure to be learning all these new things particularly with your the background of yellow which is you know fantastic and, and uh, metabolic you pop up and your grandma mm. i mean people must have been lining up to come and work with you i'd like to say yeah, that, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hopefully that is is the case uh, i mean yeah I, I guess like the the team that we've got now are just amazing like really awesome group of guys and um it's it's sort of at the moment i think the team that we've got we've built up over the years and it's really quite everyone sort of gets what my vision is and everyone's vision is and we all work really well together and i i think at the moment it's a you know the the style that we're in is sort of like a sort of progressive middle eastern idea and um everyone seems to sort of get um my appreciation for vegetables which has taken a little bit of time and it, it's definitely something. Did you eventually get that lamb off the menu? That is, <laughs> the brisket? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that off? I did get the brisket off the menu. It was pre- and the wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. That was that was. Uh, yeah, I had to swap that for a cabbage skewer. So it was a bit. It was a bit of an uproar for a while. But yeah. I think 
we've won over won over a few people from it. But yeah, I guess you know what they were doing before was was great. It was what Brisbane needed. It was it was something new and exciting then. And you know, like everything, a restaurant does something for a certain amount of time, and they need to evolve and progress. And you know, Ben had done his time here, and he's gone to move on to better things. And I think it was good for the restaurant, good for him that we could then like start again basically yeah. and then just find a new path and that's that's something which is really cool for me because i'd never really cooked a lot of middle eastern food in my past and so i'm just constantly learning all about it as i go as well and i'm just keeping within my like our ethos here as well as myself where you know it has to be like seasonality it has to be you know you know what i'm like when it comes to when the vegetables come in they've got to be yeah. beautifully grown and has to taste right for what we're doing and it's they're all the things that come in they all align and then it, then we can everyone can do the best they can and do and, what and, we're doing and the result speaks in the mouth of the customer and yeah and i and i i do appreciate everything that you the, the way that you do it and i and um you know working with uh you know like false farm at the coast are great they've got that mm. beautiful farm up there and they're going to come up on the podcast very soon we've been working with them for a long time as well and just great people um and their, their produce you know comes through your menu deliciously because you know they're, they're basically growing for you aren't they like yeah yeah so um yeah, I think that um, coming coming here must have been a little bit of a challenge. Uh, Johnny told me that he employed you because you look like Ben. And, yeah, no, <laughs> <laughs> I think Ben's better looking. Than that. <laughs> oh, that'll be debatable. Uh, but no, no, uh, he never said that. But um, yeah. so you come in, you took over loads of beautiful vegetables. Now, what about your ethos on you know chefs working one mean hours? You know, is that something that you know? I know that particularly right now, even we're trying to get the best value out of our team, but we also want them to be bright, fresh, motivated, not mm. worn out. How do you balance that? Yeah, I mean, like as a young chef, I used to work many long hours, you know, we, you know, the norm was work 60, 70 hours a week. You know, you're a, if you don't work those hours, then, you know, you're a, you're a softie. And I think the good thing about the next generation is they've made us realize that you know, you don't need to work that hard. You're actually not as efficient if you are tired every single day you come to work. So, you know, let's cut down the hours, reduce the amount of days that you work. And then when you come in, you're fresh, your mind is set, you're, you know, your job at task can be, can be made. And so what we're doing here now, everyone gets three days off a week. We work four days and that's why at the moment what we're doing is we're, we're constantly evolving every single day. Like it's, I think I look back on my young years. I wish I was in the next generation where I wouldn't work my butt off just, you know, just because that was what everyone did. And I think it's, I'm happy for the next generation because they're, they get to do this and, you know, but in saying that it's, it's one of those things that, um, yeah, for me, I'm enjoying a, having a little bit more of a life now. Yeah. <laughs> Especially having two kids. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's two. I, I only remember seeing one when I saw you yeah. in the park that day. Yeah, now there's a new one now. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, the little man's, yeah. He's, oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, how old is the little one? Uh, so I've got a three-and-a-half-year-old and a, a seven-eight-month now. Yeah. Already, yeah. Maybe yeah. I did see her anyway. Yeah. Um, what else attracted you to come up to Brisbane? Because we've got you, we've got Alex from the bar, yeah. we've, got, we've got a few. We're stealing out of Sydney now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it. I'm, I mean, I saw, like, years ago I sort of was thinking about moving up to Queensland, like, a long time ago, and then I saw Munos move up. And then, yeah, as Johnny sort of spoke to me before coming up here and then put the idea in my head and I was like, oh, well, may as well give it a crack and came up here. It's winter and I'm still in shorts. So that's a, that's a, a bonus as well. So the fact that weather's good, you know, it's, it's a new and exciting area. You can afford to live in and, you know, live in a nice area up here whereas in, in Sydney you live in a one-bedroom apartment like struggling every day so up here is you know just the people are nicer what about the about food it. scene tell me about what you love about the food scene up well here. the food scene yeah I mean that's that's even another another thing so the produce up here is something that you know you don't really see a lot of it in Sydney because in Sydney it's very competitive so you've got your your big Peter Gilmore's and you've got your Brent Savages and they all sort of get all the good stuff. So coming up here, it was like there was a lot more opportunity to get some really cool stuff up here. Like for, you know, having something like Falls Farm up here is just, you know, if I, if they had that in Sydney, I wouldn't be able to get anything because I'm not Peter Gilmore, am I? So I can't, I can't just get my, uh, you know, get them to grow these certain things so it was kind of cool coming up here and you know the the seafood and even the meat and vegetables just everything what, just what the are the cool products are they, what are, give me another couple of names of some of the cool products that you love and working with up yeah. here yeah yeah um okay so a couple of things i was getting these like baby kohlrabis from falls farm yeah um and like they were growing these you know i'd only seen it once when i was in um Blue Hill Stonevine in the US. I remember going oh, yeah, there and, talk about that too, and yeah. um, eating these baby kohlrabis. I was like, man, why has no one ever done this? And yeah. then I came up here and they they just had it on their list. I'm like, what? <laughs> how, how is this possible? Well ahead of the game. Because I've been asking a few growers. I've been oh, okay. Asking, yeah, so I, Nick doesn't know what a kohlrabi is. Oh, and he right. wants us to. Everyone okay. else in the world knows what one is, Nick. Okay, so... <laughs> A kohlrabi is basically it's a it's a hybrid vegetable and it's a it's basically like a German man-made seed, from what I from what I understand. It's That's a cross true. between a cabbage and a turnip, so it has the the sweetness of a cabbage and then the flavour of a turnip. If yeah, if I'm right, that's my next there. video because oh. I've got to do that. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I think people don't know. Well, I, I didn't know that yeah. people don't know. And you got that. different colors. So you got like a purple, purple and then you got a green. Yeah, yeah. And so, the yeah, these particular ones, they were like little purple ones. Um, you peel them back and they're just super sweet and delicious. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that, um, you know, sometimes when farmers try and go out in a little limb like that, you know, they, they're they taking a bit of a risk and, um, you know, just growing and hoping someone's going to buy it, you know, yeah. put out a bit of a list. So. Good on them for doing that. We're doing a little bit more of that as well. We've got a couple of little farms that are popping up just just in uh, New South Wales and uh, Southeast Queensland, just up, just this side of the border, thank goodness. 
But um, yeah, we're going to be trying to um, not necessarily emulate what they do, but complement what they do with some other products as well. Mm. But um, I do think the secret is growing for someone and making it a little bit exclusive. And that's what they are probably doing with Peter Gilmore and those people. Yeah, for sure. Make it a little bit exclusive for a little while. Then it goes to second tier. And then you can roll it out to a few more. It's a little mm. bit like fashion. You're on the catwalk. We're seeing the fancy stuff. And then all of a sudden it works its way down to the department store. And I was yeah, yeah. used this example before with like Caesar salad. It used to be in a fancy restaurant in Italy. And now it's ended up all France. Where was it actually? And then it ended up in a packet at the supermarket is my point. <laughs> and, um, and that's how it sort of works with, with cool stuff and fashion and food is my opinion. Um, what other? Oh yeah, tell me about your cool stuff that you get to work with. The cool, staff. the cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. start, start, start staff or staff. Staff. I want staff. I want staff. Staff. Okay, so I like, know it says staff, but I, so staff that work in. Yeah, the, yeah, in, tell, yeah, tell yeah. So we've got, yeah, all of them really. But uh, like Mitchell is like he was the sous chef for a while here, and he sort of came on board from Esquire, and so he's been working in some really cool places and. So it was cool to work with him because he had a um, sort of his style that, um, you know, that he was working with Ben Devlin and um, and uh, Brendan Gradage. And then it was kind of cool. Like he came and was working with me and he's, it was like totally different again. So for guys like him, it's, it's kind of cool because he sees – you know, my vision and then he's got like Ben Devlin's vision. And, yeah, he's and actually got a real really, resume there. Yeah, and like f- for someone like him, he can walk away and he's, you know, that's sort of, you know, with most chefs you work, you need to work with multiple chefs to get that sort of foundation. And then that foundation is where you can then create your own style. So you, you can't just work for one guy and then suddenly, you know, you've, created your own style you need to be working in different places to get you know you you're just learning all the time and i guess and you've got to go in with a you know a complete humble approach every single time it's yeah. like you know it's not like you start at the bottom but you know if you do it with that uh, mindset you're, you're taking on and absorbing more and you know, it, it sounds like you've had a great you know, yeah. training as well yeah and i think for yeah for someone like mitch is it's really cool because you know he i i cook things a certain way and then other guys cook a certain way and then he's sort of you know everyone everyone together works really well in that sense where we all have like different cooking techniques that we can evolve and change to something else like you know we're we're just working with fire now like cooking on coals and wood a lot um as you can see the big beast at the back there and you know it's 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 taken us you know i've been here for a year now and like Every day is a learning curve with that thing. Yeah, um, it's 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 a different. I've never really cooked in that um, sort of size of fire myself, so I'm always learning as well. I've always done like a little bincho tan sort of thing, like just cooked on small bits of charcoal, but nothing of that large caliber sort of thing. So yeah, it's it's kind of really cool to have a you know learn from. Um, you know, Mitchell's cooked a lot on with fire as well. So he's sort of oh, they, teaching they did me. That in Esquire, didn't yeah, they? yeah, he so, was on that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that sort of thing is really cool because, you know, you have to, by working with other people is like you're learning yourself. And like by working with guys like Mitchell and then I've got, yeah, Marnik, Bracken, 
Josh, like the other guys back there, like and the guy who washes the dishes, yeah, yeah, yeah. all of them. They're, they're all an important got, part of what you do, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, they you know? like you can't you can't do it alone. Yeah, like you can do it alone if you're a one man show, but <laughs> you like there's only, there's only a few of them. Yeah, that, yeah. Um, you know, from Fleet, like he he's you know yeah, he's, he's a, a weapon. <laughs> he's, a, he's a freak. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, like, I can't do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I need other people to work off. Oh, he's but, got um, his beautiful wife by his side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's yeah. true. Yeah. So he, he is still working with other people, but um, yeah. I guess for me is you know the whole like training the other guys and then us working together. Like now, I mean, going off all that, but like at the moment, our ethos at the moment is um basically changing the menu every day, every week, a new menu, set menu. So wow. so that sort of thing, I like one person physically can't do that on working, their own. What are you working, two days, what did you say? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Half a day, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so at the moment it's like the team atmosphere and like everyone, like we every single morning at 11 o'clock we have a briefing and then we go over the menu and then we go through each each part of the each part of the dish, and then we like change and evolve from eleven o'clock until we get to five o'clock before service. Like the dish has evolved a lot, or dishes have evolved. So even though it's like written this, 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 you know, it's beef with this, it will just evolve because we see there's like you know we've got some fermented cabbage somewhere. We're like, okay, sweet, let's just like use the juices from the cabbage to make an emulsion to get onto this dish and then we taste it at four o'clock we have a tasting and so it's kind of at the moment it's it's pretty yeah it's really cool because we're so just doing I asked just how they stuff. come up with this but and the the biggest answer is like a chocolate wheel it's like cabbage yeah. liquid <laughs> how are we going to cook it emulsion yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah sometimes that um you know that creative process is is, is beautiful and yeah and cool tell us like when you worked overseas tell me in the, some of the cool places you worked over there and some oh. of the inspiration you got yeah for sure um so i sort of my first ever overseas job uh Work experience was at uh, WD50 in New York, yeah. um, which was, yeah, that was really quite an eye opener. If anyone has ever heard of Wiley Dufresne, he's like this wacky science chef sort of thing, which like back, that was in 2009. How'd so you that get was, that gig? You just rock up over there? How did you uh, apply for it before you, gotta, you left? Or? You got to sort of, you sort of tee that stuff up before you yeah. go. But yeah. yeah, there was a couple of guys that I'd worked with that, knew you know they'd work there and it was sort of you know it's one of those things where you who you know, know? Hey, who you know yeah and then they they sort of set up the stage and you know i was sort of so like, stars so stars means work yeah. for nothing yeah yeah basically work for free yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah and everyone you need to work for free <laughs> yeah, you have to work for free you <laughs> is, this a, is this something we're welcoming here we're yeah. taking just hit up adam on his uh, instagram <laughs> if you want to work for free yeah, yeah, just hit me up, no problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but like these guys, all the guys, most of the guys that work for free, like they all want to be there. So you've got, you know, they had about thirty stages at one stage when I was there. So you've got two level kitchen downstairs is where all the the guys work for free, and they're sort of, you know, I remember one job which was very painful, or not painful, just very mind numbing. I, and it was basically you get edamame and then you double pod edamame. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, just the frozen peas and then they blitz it up into a, a crumb and then they dehydrate it and then it's just like a little garnish and we're just potting edamame for hours. Just well, six guys just potting edamame just for a, a crumb. And so it was pretty mind-numbing sort of stuff. But We uh, supplied no more, uh, a fair bit of stuff on that down there, macadamia nuts. I remember seeing them cracking those forever and slithering yeah. on a mandolin, <laughs> a macadamia nut. And the other one is to blend the... Um, the snapper came from Malulaba and they'd cook it in a bag, in a, 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 whatever you call that, um, suve. Suve bag, yeah. And then, you know, that jelly-like stuff that comes out mm. of the fish, then that was the soup that went with another oil, right. just that jelly stuff. Yeah. Which is delicious, right? Yeah, of but course. the whole fish was, you know. Yeah, Tell that, me about your your yeah. philosophies with wastage. Well, that was the whole, th- that is what I got a lot out of a lot of these places where you do stages is the amount of, just waste that comes out of it. Um, I did find, you know, you, you're cutting beans a certain size and then what happens to the ends? Well, they just go in the bin and then you've got the off cuts of the, the venison where you want the perfect round venison. Where do the off cuts go? Oh, well, they just go into staff mill. And, you know, you're talking 50 bucks worth of meat going mm. into staff mill every time you clean a venison line. And, and that to me was kind of like, well, why, why do you have to cut a piece of meat to look exactly like a perfect round piece? Like, that's not actually the shape of the venison, is it? No. That's not, or, you know, you've got your carrot yeah, yeah. and you, you're trimming the carrot so it's 15 centimetres in length and then the other bits go out somewhere else. So like, well, then you're not, then it's not really the shape of a carrot, is it? So this is the whole thing that I... I definitely learned was, you know, food wastage in these places where you've got, you know, 20, 30 stages that are all doing what they're told and no one's allowed to give any ideas or, you know, oh, why don't we do this? You just shut down and be like, no, that's just how it's done. Mm. So it was kind of, it's not, I don't know if that's what happens everywhere, but they were the places that I worked at, like when I was at, Kike de Costa um, in Spain, that was another place that I staged, which is a three-star on the coast of Spain, which is a terrible place Tough, to be. yeah. Yeah. Tough. <laughs> had a horrible upbringing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Chef upbringing. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was pretty um, – that, that was less wastage, but it was still – you know, there was a lot of um, stuff that I didn't – like I got a lot out of it, but I was kind of like – why are we doing this? Why are we turning this fish into this crisp? Like the fish is, you know, you're getting this like banging Spanish mackerel that just came off the boat 100 meters down the road. And then they're like chopping it all up, turning it into a moose and then nitroing it and turning it into this crisp. I'm like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? and like, that's, like that's fine. I understand, you know, they can't just serve. They, in their thoughts, they're like, we can't just serve a nice fillet of fish. Because mum can cook that at home. Is yeah, that it? yeah, yeah. And like the whole, that back back then and still now, like the Spanish are known for that, you know, re, recreating that p- piece of fish, but like manipulating it to a point where it doesn't yeah, taste Making the, same. the olive back into the olive thing. Yeah, we, which is, you know, that's... 
there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that's the wrong thing to do. I just think I got a lot out of that because I was like, well, let's just come back a sec and let's just look at what we're doing and then we can just simplify it and give people like the actual ingredient that it is. And that's like what we what we do here is, you know, you get a piece of fish, you get a cabbage, you get a carrot or whatever. And we are like implementing flavor into it, but we're just like highlighting what we're serving. So whether it's a carrot, a cabbage, a cauliflower. That, that carrot dish, I think it was at Metapole. Is that, is that your dish? Whose carrot dish is it? I asked Alex that as well. It's like all different types of carrots as a side. It's like 20 something bucks for carrots and it was bloody delicious. Yeah. And I, I, I reckon I ordered it twice. It was just this carrot. Carrot dish. with carrot. Yeah. 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 That, yeah. That? That's, that's like an old classic Brent, Brent uh, dish, I think. Right, yeah. yeah. Where he does like the juicing of the carrots. And yeah. Yeah. Carrots 15 ways. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah. yeah. And that, that was the thing. That's what I learned from Brent yeah. was like, don't, excuse my language, don't fuck with the produce. Like it's yeah. there. Just, Make it so. So you do lots of whole <clears throat> carrots and stuff. Is that like, yeah? Like uh, you know, a lot of people tend to go for baby carrots, and they're like, "Well, baby carrots, they're sweeter. They taste, they taste better." But do they? I uh, look. I agree in some sense. Like if a carrot is in the middle of winter and it's been in the ground, and it's you pull it out and it's super sweet. Yes, but when you get baby carrots and they've been sitting in a fridge mm. for a couple of days they change yeah so and then by the time you cook that carrot to it gets enough sweetness into it it's overcooked mm. so then that's why i tend to go towards a larger like a more of a larger carrot that's been in the ground for longer so it's actually gotten sweeter yeah. over time and then you slow cook it and then the sweetness comes out even what more. temperature I can't tell, you. <laughs> but like it's all it's all um, like there's there's yeah. no right or wrong. Yeah. It's just up to the preference of the chef. And yeah. like for me, I just found that you know you've got this tiny carrot, which is great, but you need ten tiny carrots to mm. put on a dish, and then you have a big carrot that's been growing for a long time and has been loved and nurtured. And I feel, and I feel, then, I feel <clears> it's smarter. It's smarter to use a bigger mm. carrot. You know, even if, you know, it doesn't have to be that large, but, you know, yeah. a nice medium-sized yeah. carrot. Uh, one, for food costing. Mm. Two, I think you can do a lot more with it. I think you can have a texture on the outside and a, and a texture on the inside where the little ones can tend to, you can lose that quite easily in a, in a mm. quick service mistake, you know, leaving it in the oven one minute too long, even less. Yeah. So I, I love that direction. I personally love hero in vegetables. I'm the big guy who cuts <laughs> out the pumpkin, cooks it whole in the <laughs> oven without the seeds and fills it full of, um, you know, garlic oil and watercress and bloody yogurt or something or other and and some some sprinkle of something on the top of it but and then just make it the hero. Yeah. I love that style of cooking. It really is. Um, yeah, and that's... I I mean, that's what people, that's how people want to eat. Like, what about this majority? whole? I mean, we talk, so you worked at Yellow, <coughs> and, yeah. and uh, have we finished talking about overseas? Any other inspiration? Yeah, there's, oh, I've got a pretty tell, tell funny me. story. Okay, if you yeah, want, tell me that one. At, at Kike de Costa. So, my first week there, my Spanish was terrible, and um, the other, other chefs, there was probably one or two chefs that could speak English, and the actual head chef was very angry and could only speak a cross between Spanish and Catalonian. 
And even them, there was a few Mexican guys that were stages there. And like, he's just yelling at everyone. And I look at them, they could speak broken English. I'm like, what did they say? And he just, and they're just like, I don't know what he said either. I'm like, <laughs> I'm screwed. <laughs> but um, yeah, so one of the jobs that I had to do was we, cause we basically right down on the water, you're about hundred meters from the beach. And so a lot of their cooking, they cook in the seawater, which is like this, you know, it's a bit of a wanky thing or whatever, but it's, it was, it was kind of cool as well. Uh, but when you, you basically collect the water from the beach. So in your siesta break, so everyone has a siesta at about three o'clock after or four o'clock after service and everyone goes home and sleeps, except there's two guys that have to go down and collect the seawater that they use for, uh, they use it for like cooking their, their mussels. They use it for defrosting the, the gambas, which is the, the famous red prawn from Dania, which is like the Dania prawn. And they- oh, That's like the one we have here that we- Yeah, it's like the, the exactly. Yeah. It's like yeah. that one. And then they, but the way that they defrost it, they defrost it in the water that it was, you know, that- Yeah, sort mother's of, milk. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of thing. So what we had to do is you had to get these big, like 40 liter vats and like go down to the beach, swim, not, you can't get the water too close to the sand because it's cloudy. So you have to swim out, collect your water and then come back with, you know, there's two of us. So we've got to like carry these 90 liters of water from the beach <laughs> and carry it back to the restaurant and then pass it through. Well, everyone else is having a sleep. Yeah, yeah, everyone else is having a sleep. <laughs> and so you have to pass it through this tiny little filter because they've only got one little filter to go through. Yeah. So you're trying to pour 40 liters of water into this tiny little filter without spilling any water because if the chef sees you spill any of the seawater, he absolutely destroys you. And I can't understand what he's saying. So he's just <laughs> yelling at me. So <laughs> that was my job for two weeks. So I'd have to, in my break, go down, swim out, collect the seawater every day with another guy. And that was my stage experience. So <laughs> now, that do, was you make <laughs> anyone, do you make anyone go and get <clears throat> water out of the river here in yeah. Brisbane? <laughs> yeah, well, I was thinking that. <laughs> and I was like, surely it's just the mud underneath. Yeah. I'm sure we could filter that through a tiny little filter and it'll be nice and clear. No. R- river has it. It was here <clears throat> a long time ago. Yeah. I think we dug out some stuff to get boats in or something else. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, so that was that was a fun story yeah that is that is a fun story mm. and uh, that will be well remembered i'll be able to bring that up another <laughs> other podcast for sure um tell me about uh, your, your your grandmother's inspiration your parents inspiration tell me about johnny's mum. yeah so she's, she's a she's a main cook hey? she is yeah she she's That's very Johnny's main. backup plan if you ever leave oh yeah for sure oh she's she will run rings around me yeah. i'm i'm scared so like i know i've yeah. said her stuff <laughs> Yeah. And if it's not picked 15 minutes ago, oh, and yeah. organic and da-da-da, yeah. she sends it back. Oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. This is Lebanese good girl. No good. <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, tell me about her. Tell me about her. Yeah. So, basically, um, yeah, Johnny, Johnny's mum, she's uh old Lebanese lovely lady. Um, she is an amazing cook and teaches me a lot about traditional Lebanese food. So she was making a lot of the sage bread 
that we do here. And I think before I was here, she was doing a lot more um, cooking and stuff for for the guys. But I think it's a lot. made them look good, huh? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I think it's, yeah, she's she's getting a little bit older now. So I I try try not to put her to work for too much. So, um, but um, yeah, just, yeah, her food's just incredible. Just the flavours that you don't. Yeah. You can't get, you know, it's like anything when you have food in the home of like traditional food, it's just, it's not the same as what you get in a restaurant. And yeah, just tasting her food is the spices, just like all the, the flavors, the way that it's prepared. It's like, I'd never, the way that I was brought up to make things, it's, you know, it's obviously very different to how they do things. There's no right or wrong, but it's just kind of cool to see you know, I'm blending something in a Thermomix and when she came and did a, a dinner here, she's like, oh, have you got a blender for me to do the the cough, the yeah, the cofta mix? And I was like, yeah, yeah, you can do it in this. And then she's like, this is shit, mate. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of I'm Australian like, in there. I'm, I'm so, yeah, yeah, she says, <laughs> yeah, she says, mate. And I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we, do, we don't have the right equipment, she's like, Ah, this is shit. It's not going to work. Like, <laughs> Hang I'm on. Sorry. Just so friends in America who may not know, Johnny's uh, the owner of Gerard's and this is Johnny's mum we're talking about. And, um, yeah. So you have done a dinner with her here. Has it been like a, a, a homage to her or is there some sort of dinner like that being done? Yeah, we did, on, we did it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was like a Yeah. It was like when we were in ISO, we did a uh, takeaway uh, meze sort of thing and we yeah. did the old – the. I feel like we should do another one so people, you know, when we can, you know, yeah, I mean, people can, can come in now, but yeah, when they can come sure. in again properly because, yeah. like, there is, there's a whole, there's, you know, there's a whole, you know, dare I say, book there, you know, like, she's, she's, she is amazing. Oh, yeah. Like, and what I was, you know, like, Johnny's invited me a hundred times to go there, you know, usually 10 o'clock and I can't stay awake till eight o'clock. So, <laughs> you know, come over, yeah, plenty of room, da, 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 but, uh, yeah, so she's obviously got that, that thing that's come through to Johnny because I often wonder what Johnny does. And obviously yeah. he just hooks up with you, brings you in, and then learns, goes and eats his mum's food and Pretty much. has the inspiration, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for him to walk in here and, you know, yeah. bag us today, but yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but, um, yeah, she's just uh, sort of, yeah, it's, it's pretty funny because she comes in and she inspects the bins and she's like, oh, why yeah. you throw this out? We can use this or, yeah, you know, yeah. sort of has a go at some of the boys if they're doing something yeah. stupid or, yeah. you know, so it's it's good to have a, come through and the old um, milk thing something she does with old milk yeah like uh, if there's expired milk she'll turn that into yogurt and then she'll turn that into kishk which is like a fermented yogurt um burgle uh porridge that they have traditionally what about old bread what can you do with that old bread well yeah well i mean we do a couple of things with our Old bread, we make a, like we ferment it like a, a miso and we do like a flatbread miso, which goes into sauces and purees. So is that like a, it's not like, is it like a sourdough when it starts or is it not like a sourdough? So it, it's, ba- so say you, for instance, you have some like flatbreads that have been baked off already. So they're quite dry. Right. And then you mix that, you know, you might hydrate that in a bit of water and then you get, we use a, like a fermented rice. And then we put like burgle wheat in there oh, right, as okay. well. And then that sort of. That's like your starter type thing. Yeah, yeah. So the bread itself, because it's got its natural yeast, that. And then you've got the fermented rice. It sort of gives this cool 
flavor that you you know that you sort of a good way to use up all the all the wastage so yeah because mm. we tend to cook our bread fresh every day so if we have any leftovers we also like make them in ice creams so we do like a flat we've done like flatbread ice creams and stuff like that so let's see uh, alana i'm uh, not alana who was it it was joe barrett she actually yeah. did uh she puts it in like a porridge thing and then smears it right out and then bakes it and uses it yeah, for like crackers a crisp. for cheese yeah yeah so it's stuff like that it's, yeah. it's really cool because I, yeah, I think that, um, yeah, we don't utilize that sort of thing. And I think as we're, we're trying to not waste, um, you know, part of not wasting is reusing. And what about plastics? What do you guys do about that? Obviously, I feel that that would be important to you as well, like trying to minimize plastic. How, oh, yeah. How are you guys doing that? And how, how can you help other people learn that? Yeah, I mean, the whole like soft plastic thing for me is a, like, it's a really big issue, especially with a lot of, um, the vegetables, a lot of the smaller growers, we don't um, tend to see a lot of plastic. They usually sort of put it in a recycled box. So we, we keep a lot of our boxes from whether it's our seafood or, you know, from our veg boxes and then we might give them back to the, you know, to the actual, so Falls Farm, They we always just give them like boxes Maybe that we've got left over. giving them my boxes. Are <laughs> they stealing my yeah, boxes? Yeah. I thought my box bill was going to be Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we sort of do stuff like that. And, um, you know, we try not to use single-use plastics. So we, um, yeah, it's... it's well, how do you it's, cover shit? So every night at restaurants, they cover thousands of things with yeah. glad wrap or lids. Mm. Now, are you, you're not using takeaway containers for your prep? So we do we do use like hard plastic containers. So, so they're for just our ones bread. you can rewash. Yeah, that we can. And not re- those shitty takeaway ones that last about five times. No, you yeah, have yeah, the yeah. misspelt thing on the masking tape. <laughs> and then, right, yeah, I mean, do you, you do need to use some of those things because it's you know something's cool for that. Uh, but you know we try to limit the amount of cling film. What and about those go-between. round things that housewives use that suck all the air out almost? You can pick it up, you put it on like a oh, glass yeah. bowl. Is there square ones of them? I feel like yeah. they'd be good for service. Yes, yeah, we do use some of those for for our stuff. But yeah, like I'll, I'll be honest, it's it's one of those things where we're trying to limit it as much as we can and we just need to, yeah, like we're, everyone's aware of it and the amount of cling film, like we don't go, th- Chucks as well. Chucks is a massive issue like every kitchen you go in everyone uses chucks so instead we use these um microfiber cloths that we is it like enyo or something like, isn't there some i think someone's is it yeah, no no there's not I'm the brand not what's sure the brand of them i'm not too sure what the brand yeah. is i just get it from the qcc or whatever so we so we wash them at, at um basically at a at a uh, laundromat and get them professionally washed ourselves and that the amount right. of chucks that we don't go through so we used to go through four or five rolls of chucks a week and so now we go through maybe one every three weeks yeah so well, they've even got a bad name chucks yeah <laughs> so we try to yeah we're definitely things like that we're, yeah we're reducing and we don't cling film a lot of things now that we do our daily menus, there's a lot less wastage. So it actually works out quite well. What's the experience for, you know, all my friends who listen and, um, you know, anyone who's listening, what's the experience that someone's going to get when they come here for dinner? Because I'm constantly asked where to send people and I do send them here. But tell me now so I can re-say this, what's the experience they're going to get here 
uh, when they come to Gerard's? Yeah, I guess the the experience that we try to give to people is something exciting. Is is something where it's like big flavors, but it's like balanced. You get your vegetables. You get um, it's, it's. I guess what we're trying to do here is we want people to walk away not like feeling sick because they've had six hundred grams of brisket. That we want them to walk away where they've had a balanced meal and they they can walk away and not feel sick, but they'll feel satisfied. They can take their wife home. She's still going to be in the mood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you took the words right out. <laughs> uh, so it, it, the experience here is we want we want people to really like feel homely, but like in a beautiful room, and have great service, great wine, and delicious food. And like I think at the moment, what this whole COVID thing has been terrible for everyone, but it's also made us uh, really rethink what we were doing before. And now we've we've come into an area where we're doing the best we've ever done in terms of like the food, the the service, the atmosphere, how the guests are leaving the place happier than they've ever ha- been before. So I think yeah, what what this has sort of done is sort of created something really cool and exciting. Yeah. What are a lot of other people using that you're definitely not using that you just can't stand? Um, vegetable products. Vegetable products. Yeah. Uh, I guess a lot of places overseas probably would be. Like there's a, a guys from, um, Re- you heard of the restaurant Relay, which is he owns like about three, four or five restaurants and he's got this farm where he gets everything, like just grows whatever he wants and he, he just supplies all his own restaurants and just some of the sure. stuff he does there is just really... But no, what I, what I mean is, what what are you not doing? Like, what are you not using? Is it microherbs? Is it baby? Oh, the, yeah, I know you yeah. said baby veg before, but is there something you're just going, man, I am so off that thing. Yeah, it's so sort of like, a trend that's going. My, microherbs <laughs> for me, I, um, you know, look, there's nothing, I'm, I'm not like, don't use them, but I think whatever you put on the plate, it needs to be on the plate for a reason. Yeah. And if you're just putting some, you know, baby basil on the di- on a dessert because it looks cool yeah, yeah. that's not a way you know putting uh, uh i can't agree with him the, yeah the the biggest thing is oh what are those little purple flowers the uh, uh, uh violas violas yeah what about can't. the native violas yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i don't even know there was native violas. <laughs> but yeah but that sort of stuff to me like if you have a look at our food and what we do here there's well, it, I, I've never seen a, a native viola or a becafina. I've never yeah. seen one at Jolly Hellenica. I've never yeah. seen one. At, they just. I, I agree with you totally, and I'm glad you said that. It was yeah. probably the answer I was looking for. Yeah. But um, yeah, what other food trends are, are going on um, that you would would be tending to avoid? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that that's one. The other thing is like just putting like multiple things on a plate. There should there should if you have a look at the food that we do here is there's no more than three or four ingredients on a plate. If you've got more than four ingredients on a plate, does it need to be there? Mm. Do, is it adding any, is it adding any value to the dish? Is it, is it, it's costing you more and then you've got guys prepping something for no reason. So that's part of the creative process is it has to be, you know, yeah, it like, should cause be. you see that on, let's say at MasterChef, you know, the, the, when they're, they're like when uh, actually it was Joe Barrett again, heard, you know, the dessert you see, they just th- 
three things sometimes, and they yeah. they just kick it because they all go together. And I think there is a there's a there's a thing where people are far out. I have to do more, yeah, because I need to add technique. I need to add something and something, color or something. Mm. But you know, the most delicious food is an ice cream covered in chocolate sauce or something. You know, it's not. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, you know, that, like you can always do something like tricky or edgy or something to you know if that's what you want to do, but. Putting a smear of, I, I don't know, whatever, smear. I hope whatever pure, you know, whatever puree it is, a parsnip puree. <laughs> Do you need a parsnip puree? <laughs> like, uh, I'm actually sort of against vegetable purees. Like, yeah. I don't use a lot of vegetable purees because why are you pureeing a vegetable when the vegetable itself is so, it has its natural texture? Why are you pureeing it? Mm. Use other things like nuts and seeds and dairy products to for the smoothness for, the, for that for that um carry of the texture like don't put a carrot puree with your fish just because you want a sweetness in your dish like put a almond puree or something or do something that's got probably more flavor you don't need to cook the living shit out of it for hours just to get all the water out of the vegetable mm. like that that's my whole thing yeah um i think uh, it'd be great for anyone to come and work with you um uh what's your instagram uh, i think it's a dot wolfers a dot wolfers yeah and what's uh gerard gerard's i guess gerard's yeah. is gerard's bit um tell me a couple of quick questions favorite vegetable favorite vegetable cabbage beautiful why yeah. which one which one the sugar loaf Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you, that was the first thing. Yeah. Our first conversation <laughs> when you got to town, actually. Yeah. Me and Billy were yeah. like, Ronnie right, wants this slow sugar life. Right, yeah. Mm, okay. Now, uh, how many cabbage can you name? How many cabbages? Yeah. Or probably, yeah, you got the wombok, you got the sugar loaf, you got the green, but what are they? Yeah, the, the green Ground. cabbage. Um, Savoy. Savoy cabbage. Kale, I guess, the type of cabbage. Yeah, you got Brussels sprouts as a type of cabbage. Yeah. Is it? Um, yeah, know. it is. Yeah. Favourite fruit? <laughs> Favourite fruit? Favourite fruit? Ooh, that's a good one. Uh, Favourite fruit? That's I like a- mandarins. Beautiful. Yeah. Do you do something with the skin? Yeah, we, we actually do here, yeah. We, we, yeah. we make like a yuzu kosher, which is like a chilli yuzu zest salted rig. Yeah, it's really delicious. Yeah. Beautiful. Um I think we're going to wrap up here, mate. Yeah. Thank you again right. for being a part of this one. I know you're incredibly busy because you're only going to work three days a week or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, thanks for Gerard's for their support for us as well. And, um, yeah, it's really been good for me to get to know you a bit better and spend uh, some time with you, and I'm sure everyone's going to love it. So thanks again. Oh, thank you so much. Cheers. Beautiful. Bye. Bye.